Welcome to the Crack Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And our scripture for this week was Jesus going in and cleansing the temple, John 2. So, so something I've always noticed about this text, I should maybe say always, but for maybe the past 10 years. <laughs> Recently noticed about this Recently, text. Recently, past 10 years, is that... So not only is it placed in a different spot. Yes. Which is jarring, right? Yeah, right. Because like... Because that's if, supposed to be the lead-in to, to his crucifixion. You're like, wait a minute, we just started. Right. What else? What was your other... Um, the, the change in uh, what Jesus refers to them as uh, in, in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you get the den of robbers, a reference to... Jeremiah, you know, quoting was well, a bullfrog. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Versus the language of a marketplace here. I mean, the, overall, the meaning winds up being the same thing, right? But the language is is different. So let's let's talk about the placement first. I, but I do want to go back to the marketplace because I think there are some ramifications. So the placement, I so if you're not familiar with John's Gospel, and it's probably less familiar to most people than the synoptics just because, you know, in the revised common lectionary, which is a standard lectionary, so three years like we get Matthew, you get Mark, you get Luke. And then as part of Mark, they give you like a bunch random of John stuff. Of John. But the random samplings of John are largely bread of life. And that's your just, favorite. Ugh, I love bread. <laughs> well, not right now. I'm trying to cut the carbs. But I, whatever. So if you're like reading John, you know, either not, not maybe not for the first time, but definitely for the first time. So you've read Matthew, you've read Mark, you've read Luke, and you get to John, right? You get to John, and you're familiar with the other three Gospels because you just read them. You get to John, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. This thing just started, and Jesus is flipping over tables in the temple. What happens next? Well, like, it, it kind of gets calmer, in, in John's gospel, but you're right, this is like the culmination. And, and for me, that's the, that's the clue that John doesn't give a damn about the historical timeline. No, no. Because there's no way, there is absolutely no way that Jesus goes in and does this and doesn't automatically, you know, doesn't lead immediately to him being arrested and killed. Right. Like, it makes way more sense in the synoptics because... That's really Especially good when at, he threatens to have it torn down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not even just, uh, I, you know, come in, you dinner robbers, blah, blah, blah. But in John's gospel, there's this, this we'll tear this down, but in three days I'll build it back up, um, which, you know, most people who are hearing. And, and then again, we get, we get John's parentheses. I always... <laughs> <laughs> Just say it, man. It's, it's the parentheses of, hey, I know something that the people in my story didn't know. So right. I'm, going to, I'm going to tell you know, this foreshadowing kind of thing where John is not trying to build. Uh, you know, this isn't your normal story where, where you're building to a climax to, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen next? Right, 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 right. Um. John's gospel is Jesus does this thing, and then in parentheses, he kind of gives away the ending by going, oh, well, after he died and then was raised again, they realized that he was talking about his, his body. Which is another clue that this is not historical. Right. 
Yeah. Or and, someone went back and later and edited it, but no, it's not historical. Yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's really funny because um, it's got like, well, well, dude, you just gave the ending away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's the point of reading the rest of the story? So John would be a crappy uh, screenplay writer. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, it is Greek drama, but it's that it, this is not a, 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 he's not telling it in the, in the standard story fashion, the way you tell a good tale. Right. Um, there's no cliffhanger here. Yeah, yeah. There's no cliffhanger here. Ooh, there's no I wonder what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Like, like you, read, you read Jesus coming up, man, he's going to be in trouble. I wonder what's going to happen to him. No. Yeah. <laughs> Although you do get the, the, okay, so obviously this leads to something in terms of him dying. Yeah, why is it not over yet? Yeah, yeah. You get this, oh, Oh, <laughs> if, you, if you have never read, and if you're not familiar with Jesus, which in this day and age, probably not a thing. Um, I mean, even if you aren't Christian, haven't been raised in the church, you usually knew the, you know the rudimentary basics, to, for the most part, for the most part. You though, know the Christmas story, you know the Easter story. Not always, though. Um, but I mean, generally speaking, it, I mean... I, 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 okay, so my sister-in-law was not raised Christian. Okay. And she did ask the question one time when my parents were showing their slides uh, from Israel when they had gone and they went to the Holy Land. And my sister-in-law's question was, well, where is Jesus buried? Because, you know, they'd gone to the garden tomb or whatever. So she didn't ah. know about the whole resurrection part. Interesting. So, but she knew, so she knew the, the, uh, the Monday, Thursday, or the Good Friday stuff. Yeah, she knew he, he had died. Yes. Okay. He'd been killed, but she didn't. Well, and you see Jesus strung up and, yeah, yeah. and things like that. So, yeah. but the resurrection part was the part she apparently had never heard. Um, and interesting. Yeah. So it was it was real interesting. Um, so I guess you know John is kind of giving away something here, where if you are a first time reader of this, you're going to be like, "Whoa, wait a minute! What do you mean when he was died and then raised again?" So I guess in some way that kind of keeps you reading because you're like, ooh, something good's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, John and his parentheses always crack me up. Because they're uh, rampant. Like, so yeah. Paul hates punctuation. Yes. Like it's what, one, of my, one of my disdains for Paul well, is, to, is to that Paul, well. Be fair, Greek doesn't use I was going to say, let me backtrack. Greek doesn't put in punctuation, but whatever they translated they didn't put any punctuation in. No, he has a bunch of run-on sentences that yeah. just keep going and going. And John, yeah. like, has this love affair with parentheses. It's kind of ridiculous. Okay, so, the, so referring to it as the marketplace, I think that's interesting. Because I think that has, that's easier for us to kind of modernize, put into a more modern... We know modern, what a marketplace is as opposed to a den of robbers. Yeah, yeah. So it's like going to, I don't even know. So I, I use two analogies in my sermon to kind of talk about, you know, payday loans, mm -hmm. you know, where you go in and you, I don't, I don't know how it works, honestly, um, but I know that you can get your paycheck early but and, you pay. and they charge you like a ridiculous amount of interest. I, I don't even know if those places are still in business. I don't know. I haven't. I, I thought there was some legislation to legislate them out, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, so like payday loans. And then the other example, which is really interesting, 
uh, to really tease out, you know, uh, it's NFL football season. Um, I'm going to leave my snide football remarks out because I have lots of them right now. I'm just <laughs> killing me, biting a hole in my tongue. We are going to talk about the Dallas Court. We did talk about the Dolphins <laughs> um, in, in worship, which got a ga Saturday night. One of our members like literally gasped out loud <laughs> um, that I would say that. Um, yeah, well, not the Dolphins because they're never going to make it. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh. <laughs> right. So, so I said, imagine you're at a playoff game, not the Dolphins, because, well, they, ne they never play in <laughs> the playoffs. Um, and you decide you're thirsty and want a beer. That beer at a football game, the average price of a beer at a, at a, at a stadium is $9.25. So I would know I'm used to college, and most colleges you can't, you can't buy beer. At football games? Nope. They're starting to change that, though. I think, yeah, they are. But, I mean, I grew up, when yeah. my growing up, when you went to a college game, you got Coke or Pepsi. That was... Well, when I went to college games, you got drunk in the parking lot. You couldn't drink well, anymore in yes, the stadium. Well, yes, it was that. But you couldn't actually buy Okay, so there. question. What time do you start tailgating for Nebraska football games? Oh, in the morning. Right, when the sun comes up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Early in the morning. Okay, so... We're way off track, but that's okay. So, <laughs> again, football games, man. <laughs> again, Penn State fan, when, the su when as soon as the sun comes up, like the tailgate opens. Yeah. So, when I was in Gainesville, th th we had two ELCA congregations. The bars open at 9 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. When we were in Gainesville, there were two ELCA congregations. One of them, if you're any good at golf, you could hit a three wood into the stadium from the front of the other church. So, they obviously were a prime tailgate spot, so they sold tailgate. Um, spots to like season for the whole season uh, to raise money for their campus ministry. Well, my first year there, I'm like, yeah, I want to help with this. This is awesome. Like, I want to be in that atmosphere. You know, there's nothing like you know university college game day. To, I mean, it's just there's a lot of energy. It's a lot of fun. Um, even if you're sober, it's still fun. Um, and they were having a meeting. Said, so, well, and they were going down the schedule and say, well, this game starts at you know at seven o'clock, so we'll open the parking lot at, and I'm like, wait a minute, why does it matter what time the game starts? And they're like, well, I said, no, no, no. Like, I'm, I'm confused <laughs> because like in, at Penn State games, it doesn't matter what time the game is. The sun comes up, that's what matters. You look and see what time the sun comes up, and that's what time you start parking, parking for tailgate. So I was really, really, really confused. That, so apparently, like, there's some places, unbeknownst to me at the time, that they don't start tailgating as soon as the sun comes up, which is really bizarre. Anyway, so if you go to a football game, that beer costs you, you know, $4 or $9.25. Mm -hmm. If you go to, like, your average bar, that beer's like four seventy-five. If you buy a case of beer, it's significantly cheaper. You tap a keg at a, at a, at a party in a, at college, and it's a buck a cup. Uh, for, for the cup, not a cup, a buck for the cup, and you drink till you whatever. Um, so yeah, like I, there, there's just a level of in this in this marketplace that Jesus sets up. The people are getting ripped off. Yeah, well, it's the it's, it's the old adage: the more convenient it is, the more it's going to cost you. And that, and that's still true today. Yeah. In, yep. And there, there's two elements to this. There's number one: the people are getting ripped off. Yep. Number two, you have to recognize that the only way in which you are able to really, truly worship 
is if you either are bringing your own goat or if you buy one. Required sacrifice. Required sacrifice. So if you're the beggar on the street, what do you do? Yeah. There's, there's, there's literally no role for you. There's no way for you. Yeah, you're to, left out. Yeah, to, to participate. Okay, so <laughs> bear with me. I'm not advocating for this, but when did that, when did that change? Like, you were, you were required to offer up something in order to worship. When did that change? Well, like, t- technically it changed with Jesus. I mean, it, it once, I would say it changed with Paul. That's my, but, but they did, the, so they did the offering, but he was asking, not requiring. So, right. It, yeah, it yeah. was an okay. ask, it was not a requirement, but. Um, I mean, the, the early disciples who were, who were Jewish were still going to the temple, and I assume were still offering up their sacrifices, etc. They were doing Sabbath. They were, kind of, they were still following all of that. It wasn't until Paul came along that a lot of that started to shift. So Paul is the finance committee's worst nightmare? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Um, Although Paul, has- Paul, Paul, got, Paul got in a lot of trouble, actually, because... Um, of this when he went to um, Ephesus. And when he went to Ephesus, basically, it, it was kind of the same idea where you had the guys that were making all the idols, which, you know, that was a moneymaker kind of thing. Yep. And he said, oh, I don't worship idols anymore. Well, there goes their whole stream of income and if you aren't going to temples if you aren't going to you know any of that kind of stuff there goes your revenue stream um and so that that there was a definite economic issue so jesus calling it a marketplace really does strike at the heart of any kind of economic commerce that's connected to your religious life although paul has some really good stewardship texts he does have some good stewardship. Um, he he talks, but he talks about it less as you can't participate if you don't do this, and more as, you know, especially those with you know the ability to give, give generously. Um, yeah. And for the sake of taking care of those who don't have as much, so it's kind of a little different. Um, what the money's being used for tends to be a little different. Yeah. It's, now, it's interesting. Yeah. And I'm, I am not, believe it or not, I am not a, a good enough expert in the ancient temple um, practices to know how well any of that money actually went towards caring for the poor people. But my guess is it didn't, tend to go towards that all that often, given Jesus' very, very strong response to what was going on. Correct. Yeah, I think that's a good indication. Yeah. So it, it's, and it's one of, so giving in the church is one of those challenges, church budget-wise. Um, you know, we, so we are, we're, you know, we're clearly it's 2022, so we're starting a new, a new church budget year. We finished last year, and we finished in the red. I don't know what that number was like. In our, in our, let me rephrase that. In our general offering, we finished in the red. Yeah. 
And, it was people, not good. and people go, oh, man, we finished in the red. Uh, we also raised $377,000 for a capital campaign this year, which would put us like way in the black. Um, and it kind of goes to show, I, I think there's a couple things at play when you, we talk about stewardship. One, people will support like concrete, tangible things, right? So we had a roof that needed to be replaced. We had a parking lot for our preschool that was, um, it, it was kind of embarrassing, um, the quality of the, of, the, of the playground we had for our preschool. We have an excellent preschool, um, and our playground uh, really was, to say it was lacking is an understatement. So, like, we had, we had some tan, and we're working on a parking lot because our parking lot needs to be redone. Um, so those things are like tangible things that, that very clearly need to be done. That we had to do a capital campaign, but then when you, and we asked people for money, they were amazingly supportive, and amazingly supportive. You know, well, we, we kicked off this campaign in the midst of a pandemic when we're, there, there's some financial uncertainty with, you know, with, uh, with the world. And we're like, you know, do we do this campaign? Do we not do this campaign? You know, and I think we originally, like, well, can we, do, do we think we can raise like $300,000? Do you think we can, can we do that? And like, it blew us completely out of the water, the response is amazing. Um, so if you're listening, you're a member of Emmanuel, thank you so much, much appreciated. Um, but it goes back to this overall, you know, stewardship education piece that, that is lacking in the church with a capital C. Um, you know, most churches don't do stewardship well. We don't teach it well. One, we don't want to talk about money because that's one of the, you don't talk about money, sex, or politics. Well, guess what? Um, two of those things are prominent in the Bible, that being money and politics, Sex being the other one, the sex is the one that the church wants to make more stands on, which is, that's a whole other, it's probably a whole other podcast that gets us in a whole lot of trouble. Um, but, you know, the whole, this whole idea um, of stewardship and giving and, and the church budget, if people want to give the stuff, I think, oh, well, I wish the church would, would, do, would do more in the, more in the community or more for, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, one, I, I mean, I think we're blessed. You know, we have a soup kitchen that we run that, you know, serves the community. You know, we're currently hosting families from Family Promise to serve the needy. So, we, I mean, we do, we do a, a lot in the community. Um, I personally, I'm like, we should do more because that's always, that's just who I am. Um, but when you look at the budget, it's like, oh, well, paying for electricity isn't sexy. Like, it was, oh, man, I contributed and I paid for that electricity. Well, the reality is if you don't have electricity, you don't have the air conditioning because you need air conditioning more often. You don't, well, you don't have the soup kitchen. You don't have, right, you don't have the lights, you don't have the soup kitchen. You, don't have, you can't do the ministry you have if you don't pay the bills. You know, if you don't pay the staff, you don't get blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's that stewardship education piece. Um, so, I, I'm not saying that the temple was in that position, right? I'm just saying that the temple was like, oh, they weren't using that money for the poor because they were paying for electricity or, you know, candles, um, or, you know, whatever. I'm sure maintaining that temple was expensive. Yes. Don't don't get me wrong. Yes. I'm sure that that maintaining the... the Well, they were rebuilding it forever. Yeah. Well, Herod started it. Right. He he had started that rebuilding project, and, you know, basically, this was his way of ingratiating himself to to the Jewish population that he was king over, because... most people don't know Herod actually was not Jewish. Um, he was uh, 
Idumean, but... He was what? Idumean, or an Edomite. He was from the land of Edom, which frequently gets blasted in the Old Testament by the prophets. Um, but point being, <clears throat> he was uh, kind of a puppet king for the Romans. But that was his way of ingratiating himself to the Jewish population was, look, I'm going to, to build you this really beautiful temple. Um, you know, they had kind of, they'd kind of rebuilt it uh, when they returned from Babylon but Herod was going to make it just, you know, back to the old, old splendor, even better than what Solomon had done kind of days. And Jesus comes in and says, well, destroy it, and I'll rebuild it in three days. Exactly. <laughs> so, so here comes Jesus. So and he's there's like, like humor in that. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, like, unfortunately, I think way too often we miss the humor in Scripture. Like, and I don't know if it's because... We think worship has to be so serious or what, but there's a lot of really funny stuff in scripture that we don't, we kind of miss. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, because we somehow think that God doesn't have a sense of humor because clearly no one's ever seen a platypus, um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things where I think if um, <clears throat> most of us have senses of humor, not all of us do, but if most of us do, um, and we're, we're a reflection in some way of God, that probably means that God has a bit of a sense of humor. So here, uh, so I personally think laughter should be more of a part of worship. Absolutely. Because laughter releases endorphins. Makes you feel good. It makes you feel good. So, I'm a fan of laughter. Well, absolutely. I mean, and... So there's this juxtaposition, though, of it both being humorous and also very deadly. And salacious. Yeah. Um, where it's, it's, it's humorous, but at the same time, it's like, <laughs> that's going to get you killed. <laughs> yeah, right. you know, it's like, <laughs> that's funny. That's you. You're going to die. <laughs> kind of moment of, and I'm sure his disciples at the time were like, what 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 you doing there? <laughs> what, what, what why are you threatening to tear the temple down, dude? <laughs> nice knowing you, buddy. <laughs> As they kind of like tiptoe away, like I do not want to be around this guy because all hell's gonna break loose. Yeah, and you know, and, and not only threatening to tear it down, but then then the accusation of you've turned my father's house into a marketplace, which, um, and, and if you think about marketplaces, not our very clean, sanitized-ish um, grocery stores that we have today. Marketplaces were outdoor areas that were full of, of hanging, you know, meat and, and, and things like that, uh, although only the rich typically were able to actually afford meat. Um, your, your day for eating meat was usually when you went to the temple and made your sacrifice. That was like your meat day. Um, that I, was, that would, I, I'm not going to lie. That would be brutal for me. Yeah. Lot, lot, lots of, you know, the, the, the diet of, of the ancient Near East was primarily fruits, vegetables, nuts. I can um, do fruits. I can do nuts. nuts. Vegetables. We got issues. <laughs> um, and fish. I like some fish. Yeah, yeah, you can have, you can have some fish. Um, 
which again, so you're a fisherman, what do you do with your fish? How do you sell your fish? You take it to the marketplace. So you have lots of, of dead, stinky fish that are lying out in the sun. Um, and they had to figure out ways. I, I went to, when I was in seminary, my parents and I took a vacation to Italy. And we went to Pompeii. And Pompeii still has basically intact, because, you know, the volcano ash and everything preserved everything so well. They still basically have their, their marketplace. And you can see they, they had these huge, like, bins, um, these, these pots that sat in holes that were full of goods, you know, that were full of the foodstuffs um, that you, you could buy. And that was pretty much how, you know, it was all outdoors. It was all done that way. So when we're talking about a marketplace, we're talking about a very busy place, a, a place of bartering, a place of, of um, <clears throat> you know, commerce, exchange, all this kind of stuff that's going on. Yep. There, there isn't a lot of, when, when you're in a marketplace, let's just put it this way, there isn't a lot of, of worship stuff going on when you're in the grocery store. <laughs> Other than nowadays, you just pray that they have what um, you're, you're hoping to buy. Yeah. Because supply issues and... and Pasta you know. was in short supply this week. Uh, yeah, I noticed I, that too. I, noticed I, heard, that I heard people complaining. I, now, I eat pasta's like pasta's a new toilet paper. I can't find it. Yeah, and, and I eat wee pasta, so they typically have that in stock because nobody else eats it. <laughs> so I, I was, that, that actually, the first couple of um, weeks of the pandemic, when there was the, all the shortages everywhere, where you couldn't yeah. buy anything. Yeah. And I went down the pasta aisle. And I was, I was convinced, I was like, oh, you know, wheat pasta, it's kind of a, a, an odd thing that most people don't get. Nobody eats can't that find crap. It. And I asked the guy, I, didn't, I hadn't even gone in the aisle yet, and I just asked the guy, I said, so, I said, I'm sure you probably don't have it, but do you have, like, wheat pasta? And he goes, <laughs> he laughed, and he goes, that's the one thing we have. <laughs> yep. He's like, if you want wheat pasta, you got your pick. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> so... Um, and then he looked at you weird, like you eat wheat pasta. Yeah, well, I I do because it's 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 zero points on my my Weight Watchers. There you <laughs> so <go>. I <laughs> for me. I last night made zoodles. Oh, okay, zucchini noodles. Took some zucchini and spiralized that puppy and had some zoodles. There you go. They were pretty good. Not gonna lie, I could eat some zoodles. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Look at me go. So, yeah, the marketplace versus the, the den of robbers. And then, of course, Jesus is making this um, claim that, obviously, his, his immediate audience did not comprehend or understand, which was he was the temple. Yep. And, and so John is very big into making this shift from physical building, brick-and-mortar type, places to the temple is within kind of idea yeah um and paul picks up on this a little bit to be to be fair because paul's the one who calls who says that our our bodies are temples of the holy spirit 
but it kind of starts with John. It starts with John's notion and idea that the temple is Jesus, that, that Jesus is this embodiment of uh, the, the presence of God. So right. it's kind of going back to that term that was in the first chapter of tabernacling, um, you know, that, that the word tabernacled amongst us um, and Jesus being that tabernacle, Jesus being that place, Jesus being that, that source of, of where God is present. Ch- chapter one of John's gospel really does a lot of the heavy lifting for the rest of the gospel. Yeah, it, it lays the, the foundation. Yep. It, it does. It lays the foundation. It lays the groundwork for kind of what this gospel is going to be about. Yep. This gospel is going to be about the presence of God um, and, and, the pre- and, and where do you find the presence of God? And how does the presence of God manifest itself in the world? And, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, with, with Jesus being the word in flesh. So like God's word in flesh. You know, we talk about, we, we really struggle with, with, the, with the notion that Jesus could be angry, right? Like, angry Jesus, uh-oh. Flipping but, tables. Flipping tables, Jesus. Right. But we don't, I mean, there's a lot of people that view God as the vengeful, angry God. Yeah, it's the, the <laughs> juxtaposition of, well, yep. Jesus is the angry, wrathful God, um, well, Father God is the angry, vengeful. Jesus is the counter to that. Um, so I had a, 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 a friend who, for a while, was kind of my roommate-ish person. Who, roommate-ish. Roommate-ish person. Um, <laughs> before I got her moved to someplace she could actually afford to live that was called Wisconsin. Um, but... We were, we were talking about her, she's, she was raised Catholic, and I, I'm not trying to knock on Catholics, but this was her, her Catholic upbringing. She was, she was scared to death if she came to church with me to take communion, and I finally was like, why, why are you scared of this? I mean, I understand if you just don't want to do it, but why are you, you de- you're deathly afraid God is going to smite you if you take communion in the wrong church. Why, why do you believe that? And she's like, well, because that's what God does. And I said, but, I said, what, what, what's your view of Jesus? I said, Jesus is loving. Jesus is, I said, this is, you know, this is, I said, this is, Jesus is accepting and loving. And when you go to communion, you're taking Jesus. I, you know, I said, that's, it's about forgiveness. It's about, you know, these kinds of, of, of things. And she just looked at me like I had three heads and was like, no, no, communion is about God, not Jesus. And I kind of went, huh? <laughs> now, I, I'm, I'm going with she didn't really understand Catholicism, even though she was Catholic. I, 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 I mean, I, 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 I'm saying this you know, tongue-in-cheek. I mean, they do say the body and blood of Christ I when guess. they serve communion even in the Catholic Church. Yeah, well, it's, it's a very, I mean, yeah. I know. Um, very much so. It's about the sacrifice. Yeah. Um, but somehow there was a disconnect between who Jesus was 
because then she kind of went off on how Jesus was kind of just a prophet and, and whatever. And I was like, I, I, don't, I don't think you understand your Catholic upbringing, but that's okay. <laughs> so I'm fairly certain, you can knock on the Catholic Church all you want on, on certain things, but I'm fairly certain they do teach that um, yeah. and, and pretty heavily teach that. So I, I'm not real sure where, where that all kind of got a little mixed up for her. That's weird. But... But for her, God was vengeful. God was angry. God was, if you don't do it X, Y, and Z, God is going to smite you and send you to hell, or to purgatory at least. Um, it, it, so there is that. And, and I'll be honest, if you, um, I, I was scared of God for a very long time. Part <laughs> of it was because um, when I was 12, thereabouts, 10, 12, somewhere in there, um, my mom had started taking us to uh, the Presbyterian Church, which, strangely enough, I'm not sure why the Presbyterian Church did this, but they did. They showed kind of the precursor to the Left Behind movies, which were the um, these is about the rapture and all that kind of stuff, and it was just this horrifying thing, and you know, and. Um, this woman told my mom one time, she's like, oh, you need to watch these movies that we're showing because, you know, this is what's going to happen. And I was terrified. I, I was absolutely terrified. And that was part of what kept me away from the church for a very long time was because I was like, this is not what, you know, this is, this for me is not faith. This was fear. I mean, absolute, utter fear of... right. If I don't do X, Y, or Z, then this, these horrible things are going to happen to me. And if I don't believe the right way, these things are going to happen to me. So fear yep. was very much a part of, of my um, understanding of both God and Jesus, to be quite honest. Because Jesus was sort of the avenging, you know, he was coming back with, with the sword and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So there is still, oddly enough, that, that on, on the one hand, yes, we sometimes separate out and say, well, God's the wrathful, you know, guy who did all the war stuff in the Old Testament. Jesus is the loving guy who heals people and does all this kind of stuff. But then you still get these glimpses, though, of Jesus still having a bit of a temper and, you know, showing up and flipping tables and yeah. not being a happy camper. Um, and, and recognizing that Jesus is God's presence on earth. So you're going to, you can't separate Jesus from the Old Testament God. And we, we like to try, but it's, it's hard because it's, I think one of the best ways that I've ever thought about it is, is Jesus is God's heart. Jesus like is what God wants us to really know and understand about the nature of God and what God's intention for us is, is, look, I want you to have this abundant life. I want you to, to, to live in harmony with one another. I want you to love your neighbors. I want you to do these things. And when we don't, it does kind of make God mad. <laughs> You know, it's like it, it, it makes God mad when, well, I just, I, when, I think we're, when we're hurting each other. Yeah, I think it's important to look yeah. at what makes, like, what made Jesus angry. Yeah. Like, 
Jesus did it. What made Jesus angry and what didn't make Jesus angry? Right. Right? So Jesus... Um, was not mad at the adulterous woman, or if he was, he kept it in check. Yep. I mean, in, in a big way, protected her. Yeah. I, I, I mean, there, there's, so many, there's so many stories in Scripture where you think that Jesus would, you know, think Holy Week. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jesus... Did, Jesus even protected, you know, the soldier. Yep, and heals and and, and right, yeah. and but what did Jesus get angry about? Yeah. Mistreatment of the vulnerable. Yeah, the mistreatment of the marginalized, the, yeah. the, the people, the poor, the it, it, people that were being taken advantage of, um, the people that that were the part of society that society kind of just didn't want to have to deal with. And that's where Jesus gets angry. Yeah. And I think, I think one of our struggles, 20, you know, 2022, 21st century is what marginal, what marginalization looks like. Right. Um, we have people who are not marginalized. Who are not what? Who are not marginalized, oh, who feel right. that the world is stacked against them. Yes. And it's like you, you are not marginalized. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a persecution complex among um, Christians in general. Yeah. Is we're always afraid based on <clears throat> like what happened in second century Rome that Christianity is going to be illegal and we're going to be persecuted and whatever. So anything that seems to infringe on, on Christianity, we immediately label as persecution. As opposed to maybe the problem is we're the ones pushing things on other people and we've become the persecutors. And when they push back against that, we try to cry persecution. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, no. That's how it works. When we're the dominant culture, we are not persecuted, Right. period. Right. Um, as long as we are the dominant culture, that is not a thing. And yeah. I think a lot of people don't recognize that because there's a fear. There's this fear that, that we're, we're going to have, um, you know, all of our, our inability to worship, our inability to, um, you know... Uh, freely express ourselves because um, we have this notion that when I go out and I'm a jerk to people um, in the name of my faith and they respond badly to that, that somehow now I'm being, you know, well, you're rejecting Jesus. Like, no, I'm rejecting you and the way you, like, are bullying me. <laughs> right, so, so Jesus' mode of operation was love. Like, like, that's how Jesus operated. It wasn't by bullying. It wasn't by, you know, just spewing hate at people. I, I, I mean, I, somewhere along the line, we've lost that. And maybe a long time ago. I'm not saying this is a modern thing. Um, I can only speak to what you know, my observations in my lifetime. Um, but this, you know, idea that um, 
this idea that you know suddenly the church is it's just bizarre it's really bizarre well and there's also a a tension within our our own texts and and part of that that tension is recognizing that on the one hand yes the dominant culture in which Jesus was was operating in Judea was Judaism and yet Judaism was being oppressed in its own way by the Romans because the the Roman culture was definitely the dominant culture and Judaism had to to be very different Um, they they had to uh, get special dispensations from the emperor to worship the way they wanted to because it was illegal um, most of the time to not worship all the other deities and gods and things like that so so Jews got a special dispensation in terms of of their ability to worship the kind of the way they wanted to so recognizing that they are living in the midst of their own oppressive systems like what if I feel like like so much of I'm going to use I'm going to use this term very very loosely evangelism. So much of Christian evangelism right now is trying to legislate Christianity into existence instead of trying to love Christianity into existence. And that's like <laughs> you can't let like you can't legislate stuff like that into existence. You I have try. to what you can try. Well, uh, we're trying, <laughs> um, but that—that's all that does is it, it's anti—it's anti-gospel. I mean, it's anti-gospel. It... At the same time, um, let's face it: we do, as Christians as well, believe that that standing up against political systems and trying to change political systems is a part of what we're, we're supposed to do. The problem I think we run into is trying to determine which parts are we supposed to be using as our, our baseline for society in terms of, so loving my neighbor, um, caring for the poor, et cetera, we're, we're tr- oh, we're tr- one, one group of us would think that's that's what our calling is. That's what we're supposed to do. Where the other, you know, there, the, then there's another group of Christians that says, "Oh, but we also need to, you know, make these things illegal. Um, you know, ha- who's having sex with whom? Who's doing? You know, these kinds of things also need to be part of that." And I think that's where the rub comes in: is that we have a very diverse group of people who are Christian and what we think is important in terms of our society and what will make our society a better society. Right, right, right. And just, just to clarify my statement, you're absolutely right. Like, we're trying to, we're trying to legislate Christianity into, into existence. We're, we're, we're failing to legislate Christian principles 
basic Christian principles like caring for the poor and the vulnerable and you know, immigration policy. Again, I'm not saying open borders. Let me just be clear. I'm not saying open borders, but our, our, our immigration system, it's regardless broken. of who has, been a can who has been in office, regardless of which party has held office, our immigration policy is a disaster, period. Yep. And it does not fit scripture. Um, and I don't have the answers. It's a complex problem. I don't have the answers. Um, but I know there's a better system and, and a better way than the way we run it. I just do. Um, if we, and if we really wanted to fix it, we could. Yeah. We just choose not to. No. Um, well, there's money to be made. Right, exactly. There's money, there's money to be made. It follows the money, which again takes us back to there, the temple. There's money to be made in incarcerating. Jesus flipped yeah. over tables because there was money to, money to be made in the temple. Right? There was money right. to be made in the temple. And as my father used to always say, or should, I should, he's still living, so he still always says this. Uh, as my father always says, um, it's, it, it, it's all about the money. It's always all about the money. No matter what, what it is, whatever problem you're dealing with. It's yeah, if you, if you, fo if you follow the money, if you follow the money trail, eventually you get to the answer. Like, yep. that, I mean, and it's sad. It's sad that, that our society is set up that way. It's sad that our political system is set up that way. But it's, it's very much, you know, how the world operates. If we operate under, under, you know, that system, that Jesus really was rejected. Jesus was like, wait a minute. You know, this, this place, this, um, you know, this, this, the temple should not be a marketplace. Yep. Now, I, I don't think it's problematic that the temple had resources for people to worship, right? So that, I mean, that was convenient. Like, I joked around a little bit, you know, about the convenience of having, you know, Well, if you think about sacrifice. what goes into what, would, what you would have to do to get your, your be the best of your livestock down, if, if you were living, and you said, you know, all over the, the, um, the region in terms of just the Jewish areas, they were coming from all over the known world. I yeah. mean, they were, they were coming from Turkey. They were coming, you know, which we call Turkey now. But, you know, they were coming from all these different places. They were coming from Egypt. They were coming from, you know, they, they lived all over because when um, the uh, Babylonians had come in and, and, you know, there was a dispersion. And so they did live in all kinds of other areas throughout the ancient world. Um, and but when it was the high holy days, you made that trek. So imagine you're coming from, uh, <laughs> you know, from from well, even possibly Rome. You may be coming because there was a Jewish community in Rome. If you're coming from Rome and you're trying to get to the temple in Jerusalem, and you're trying to take a cow, um, that is not an easy thing to do. Nope. So, I, I, yeah, I don't want to knock the, okay, let's make it more convenient. You can just buy it when you get there. And again, the notion that if, well, if I'm going to provide this service, I need to make a profit of some sort by providing you this service so that you could be less inconvenienced. Um, and, and, yeah, that, that, that kind of is the... The, the idea. So confessional moment. Yes. So in seminary, we had to raise money for, you had to pay for graduation stuff. 
needed to pay for graduation stuff in seminary. So each seminary class would do fundraising. Was the same at Luther? We didn't do, we had to pay, but uh, we didn't do fundraising. Oh, so we did fundraising. Oh, you were smart. Yeah, so we did <laughs> you fundraising. You were much smarter than those of us yep. at Luther. So our first year, you know, so the, the tradition was that the incoming class, um, the incoming class, which were called juniors, which makes no sense, don't, whatever. Yeah, the, the junior, the middler, right. intern, and, and se- then senior. Right, yeah. makes no sense, but whatever. So first year, first year seminary class comes in, and their responsibility was to provide lunch for the graduates and their families. You could charge, I mean, it, it wasn't a free lunch. So I was fortunate that I had family that worked in the food service industry, so I was able to get food at cost. Um, so we made a killing, got off to a really good start. Then we happened to have a classmate who was a beer nerd, like loved, loved, loved like beer, the science of beer, brewing beer, researching Martin, Martin and Katie Luther brewing beer, beer at the time, everything else. Well, there happened to be a brewery at the end of the street for seminary. So we partnered with the seminary, with the brewing, with the brewing company and brewed a beer, um, and named it, and then, and then sold pint glasses with the name of the beer on it at Luther Colloquy to sell or to raise money. So we got in a little bit of trouble because we were selling things outside of the chapel. And I'm like, listen, it's outside the chapel, and it's not required for you to purchase it in order to go in and do chapel. It's just an option. But so, I mean, we, got, we had some people that were, that were a little cranky because we were selling things at the church or at the yeah. chapel. Yeah, well, and, and that... And, and, and believe me, through my years of um, being a pastor, when you know we saw things out in the narthex or something, there, there's always a comment. Yeah. There's always a comment about, oh, are we turning into a marketplace now? Is this what we're doing? And out of context, folks. Yeah, yeah, completely out of context. Now, should you pa- should be standing on. up during the sermon and saying, you know, this sermon brought to you by. <laughs> The Girl Scouts and their Girl Scout cookies, please. No, but yeah, it, it's it, it's a very fi- it's a but it is a fine line. Yes. It, it's a fine line of what is it going for? What is the point? You know, yes, we sell things for fundraisers for our youth, um, so that our youth can go and do things and build their faith and blah blah blah. Um, yep. And. I think that's a little different than I'm trying to take advantage of people who have no choice in terms of. So you you don't get when 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 you come to worship and you see the wreaths that we are selling for our youth fundraiser, we don't deny you admittance if you don't buy correct the the wreath. It's, you're still welcome to ignore, <laughs> ignore the fundraiser, come in and worship, yeah. and no one's going to think anything of you in terms of, um, you know, oh, well, they don't belong here because they didn't give to the fundraiser. Yep. That's, that's, that's not, it, that's yep. a very different thing, whereas what was going on at the temple was basically, you could not worship if you could not pay. It was required. Period. That yep. was that was the the you know you could maybe sit out in the court of the Gentiles or whatever, but you you literally could not get your sins forgiven, or have whatever forgiven or whatever. You couldn't participate right. if you did not have a sacrifice to offer, right? And you didn't have something to put on the altar and have it burned up and um, then have a lovely feast. 
it, so yeah, there's, there, there was kind of a big difference in terms of what was going on there. Yep. So um, yeah, so that, that whole marketplace notion and idea is, now real quick, we're kind of running out of time, but real quick, sort of the difference between that and the Den of Robbers. Um, ultimately, it's getting at the same thing. It's, it's that you had people that were taking advantage of the poor. Now, it wasn't necessarily what was happening at the temple per se in terms of the selling, of, you know, the money changers and that kind of stuff. I don't know that that was what was going on because Jesus is definitely making a reference to um, the time of Jeremiah. Was a bullfrog. Dun, dun, dun. And, and what was going on in the time of Jeremiah, of course, had more to do with the, the fact that they were fleecing the poor in their everyday lives and would come to the temple in order to basically get absolution for that and then turn around and go back. And, and they thought that the temple was the place that they could kind of hide out because God would protect them despite all the things that they were doing that were bad. And so Jesus was kind of going after that notion of you can't, um, you know, you can't come here for protection in terms of if you're, if you're not living it out, if you're not taking care of the poor and the needy and the, you know, everything that was going on that was wrong in ancient Israel was still wrong in the newer version um, of once they came back from Babylon. Those issues were still issues and were still going on and Jesus was still not happy um, with what was going on. Yep. Um, so it, it wasn't an attack specifically on, you know, his statement about the marketplace is an attack specifically on what was going on at the temple as opposed to what Je Jesus was doing in the synoptic gospels, I think was a broader kind of statement on, on the society as a whole, if that makes sense. Yep. So, but again... Why would John be so concerned about making it specifically about the temple? Because Jesus is the temple. Jesus, you know, this is, what, what are you doing with me? This, this, this is me. And you're, you're taking advantage of people in my name. And that, that, you know, because you're doing it for God, supposedly. And this is, you know, it, it becomes, let's put it this way. In John's gospel, it becomes a much more personal issue yeah. because Jesus identifies himself with the temple and the temple being, you know, look, you tear this down, I'll raise it back up because it's me. So, so we went from Jesus turning water into wine to Jesus <laughs> cleansing the temple. I can't wait to see what's next. Nicodemus. Dun, dun, dun. We'll talk mm. about that next week. Awesome. Okay. Bye, All right. everybody. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. See ya.